archives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. All right. Well, welcome to the show today. My guest today is Laura Lewis Barr. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Uh, welcome, Laura. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, I'm really thrilled. Really thrilled. Nice. Yeah. I got a chance to look into a little bit about what you've been up to, um, but I'm sure nobody else who's been listening to us uh, has so far. So I want to give you a moment to just introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about where you're coming from, what your landscape in life is right now, geographically, socially, work and offerings to the world wise. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of where you're sitting right now in life uh, as we start. Thank you. Uh, physically, I'm in Chicago, just a few blocks outside city proper. And mm -hmm. uh, I am finding at this point in my life, and you were talking before we recorded about the directions and the north direction is really where I'm feeling aligned as we talk because uh, this season is about integrating the parts of myself and wanting to offer to the world. And mm. the parts of myself are, um, I've been in the theater my whole life. I've been an artist my whole life. And then I've also been studying psychology my whole life, I was going to be a therapist. I went to school for that for a while. And then studying fairy tales and stop motion. And it's all really coalesced in this passion I'm having for taking fairy tales. Um, a lot of them, I'm reading Marie Louise von Franz, who's the Jungian master on fairy tales. Yeah. I'm reading her work. I'm, and I'm trying to bring forth um, these fairy tales in a, in a comic way, um, but as an offering to the world and um, to do anything I can to help bring Jung's ideas, which have been so important in my life. Um, to do what I can in my role as an artist and a filmmaker. And so um, I'm, I'm making these films in my home, in my basement in Chicago for really um, no money. They're really, um, I'm really pushing against sort of how films are made. I'm mm. wanting to just, um, hopefully skillfully, but not buying into needing to have huge budgets. There's really no budget for my films. Right. Um, 
and I'm gaining some traction. Uh, it's taken me a little while to get um, some credibility within the Jungian community because I'm not an analyst. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to both kind of do these works as a gift to the Jungian community, but also just to the world at large. So, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to be both and in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm mostly retired and um, this is this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a, a beautiful offering to to have this passion and be able to just put it out there regardless of, of you know, what communities are wanting it and how it's going to be received. But you, you feel this passion inside that this is something that you're interested in and you have to give to the world. Uh, really can sense that in your work and what you're saying right now. And it's such a beautiful thing too that you connected back to that time of of the north of uh, this is this is the time of of giving back as adults you know like we have these gifts we have uh, this wisdom of our life experience to be able to share with the world and I'm wondering if you could uh, back up a step or two of like how how did you come to realize that this was something that you have to give and to offer and it, and it's something that um, uh, that you're, you you became so passionate about. Yeah. So I've read different people say that when you look to our childhood, when I look to my childhood, mm -hmm. um, that was always my entire passion was storytelling and theater. Hmm. And so that passion started really young and I couldn't let it go as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, mu the muse was there and not going to let me go. And it, it's been a tough road. And <clears throat> my psyche is, I think, has wanted more security in my life and certainly more, um, more achievement, accomplishment, and status. You know, I'm a Capricorn. I'm a double Capricorn. <laughs> um, and so it's been a really tough road. But yeah. um, but it, every time I would come to a crossroads, I just always felt really deeply in my heart that this was my work to do theater. And so I, I um, got my master's and I started teaching theater. Um, but never felt home. I think mm. partly because it was always, um, I always had this spiritual quest too. And the history of theater and, and um, certainly Christianity is fraught. And, yeah. and somehow I, I felt that inside of myself for a lot of my life. And Jung, Jung's work was healing to me in terms of regaining that religious function, feeling, you know, claiming my spirituality in his um, model. And um, so once I could get behind sort of my spiritual driver and my artistic calling, now I'm finally feeling home. Um, mm. And I'm self-taught as a filmmaker um, but but I've been a storytelling student my whole life, so I'm hoping I'm answering your question. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we're we're starting to get closer and circle to it. And I wish I could remember exactly what you just said. I, something about like the 
internal and the spiritual or something that's helping you feel like home. I wonder if you could say more about that, because that home and belonging is definitely a central theme in my life that I've talked about in previous episodes and in a lot of people that I work with, too. Like, how do we feel like we belong? And sometimes people look outside for that. But what I'm hearing you start to say is that it's been a long journey and you're finding home within yourself through some connections inside. Is, is, is that right? Right. And I think I might have used the word driver, the, the mm-hmm. driver within me the, that I've, I've have a strong religious um, driver in me. And then mm-hmm. I've had the artist driver in me mm-hmm. and somehow they have come together in wanting to offer this work because the Jungian, um, what I take from his work is so spiritual and I wanted to contribute. So I think getting, but the drivers are interesting because I'm very aware of external drivers too. And those don't get met. I'm not making money doing this. I don't have much prestige doing this yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but those internal drivers, and so sometimes I feel like my work functions on lots of levels, and one level it functions on is a repudiation of sort of the capitalist modern view of success. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as you said, it's a harder road to do it like that in some ways. Um, but also if it's part of the story and the narrative, you, you kind of have to walk it. Right. 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 And it becomes the, the Maine Jung center as in the state of Maine. Mm -hmm. Um, they have a wonderful Jungian center there and they had me do a program on, um, the individuation process through filmmaking Mm. and, um, when they asked me, I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, what is, but they were so right on that um, this path, which, you know, I'm sometimes very reluctant to take and it can be excruciating, mm-hmm. um, has been the path for finding the parts of myself that need to be found. Right. Absolutely. So it's not just an offering to the world. It's a recovering of parts of you. That, that's right. that's really priceless. I love that. Right. There's a really interesting synchronicity, too, that I, I run a group that I call Tending the Waters of Psyche and Soul. And yesterday in the group, uh, the, a similar theme was being worked by a few of the members of having this dream and this vision that uh, they believe, you know, uh, to try to overgeneralize and summarize uh, and not get too into the details, this person was talking about how the world is so messed up and I have to create this really big thing uh, and I, I don't have the money for it and I don't have the support and the resources for it and and I've really got to do this or else and it's you know or else my kids are going to be screwed and everyone's kids are going to be screwed and we were really chewing on this. Um, what is our unique gift and what is our unique offering? And is it big? Is it small? Is it value? How do we value it? Um, and, and like, I'm hearing some of that emerge in your story here today too. Have, have if you wrestled with that in your own walk? Oh yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who talks about our lives as being, what is my part in the ecosystem of the world? And just mm. can I embody, you know, am I a bird? I was watching a bird the other day singing, you know, 
maybe my films are just, I'm on this branch singing and somebody will hear me. Maybe I sure hope so. Um, but yeah, I think my bias is that our, our modern life, we have so many godlike abilities. We can be, mm. you know, around the world and, you know, everything is so instant. Um, but the humility of saying, this is all I can do. This right. is, this is it. This is the one thing I can do and I'm going to give it everything. Absolutely. That's, um, that's actually part of what we were talking about too, is that, um, here's the one gift it's, it, you know, it, it, if we try to overextend ourselves and give beyond what we have, um, like sometimes we hurt ourselves and, uh, it takes this real humility, like you're talking about to say, well, here's my small offering. And I love that image of like a bird singing on a tree is like, well, the bird is sitting there singing on the tree. It's, it doesn't know or doesn't care if any anyone is hearing it, right? But maybe somebody does and thinks it's beautiful, and maybe somebody doesn't, but the bird is still going to sing its song no matter what. Yeah. Such a rich image. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And if we could go back even farther, Laura, I heard you start uh, your introduction talking about, like, this has been something since childhood. And I, I just want to, like, disclose... Uh, for me, I think I definitely liked stories and, and fairy tales, of course, when I was really young. And then I definitely went through a period of my life of thinking that they were very meaningless. And it's only as I've gotten uh, older and more mature and really started to study the symbolism of them all. And also, I, I studied somatic therapy for a long time, too. And I, I start to realize how I, when we really listen deeply to a story where we can have a real embodied somatic experience too. Um, and I'm wondering um, if you could walk us through the evolution of like how you found story and fairy tales and, and all, and, and what your journey has been with that and, and, and how you see this as part of both your life and your individuation process, as well as seeing it being helpful for others. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Big question. Yummy, yummy question. <laughs> yummy, yummy. Oh, good. Yeah. So, you know, as a child, I was always making up stories and mm. making up little plays. And it wasn't fairy tales, but they were always narratives. I was always interested in that, the story. Yeah. Um, and I, then I studied... Um, theater seriously and you know the ancient greeks and started to really get into the depth of story our depth of storytelling history and at least in the west but i also studied eastern stuff too uh -huh. um when i was i don't know around 50 i um my life kind of fell apart as is appropriate for that time mm. And my career, I was totally lost. And I started reading von, Marie Louise von Franz. Yeah. I just I didn't understand half of what I was reading. I just, but somehow she was like this soothing mother, profound. I, I just, I felt like she was going to give me something, even if I didn't understand. And so she helped me um, trust to work on dreams, even if I didn't understand them. 
and she introduced me to the depths of fairy tales. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was sort of the beginning. Um, Meanwhile, things were happening in theater for me and a film, I had a film made. And when I started making my own films, that the fairy tale just felt like for stop motion, kind of the appropriate, because they can be shorter and the stop motion um, 11 inch dolls that I was using, it just all felt like perfect. Hmm. In fact, people were giving me a lot of credit for being so like innovative, Um, but it, it just, it was sort of just what happened. Yeah. Like, like, how can I make these films for nothing? And I found these dolls. And um, so now what's happening, though, that's really trippy, is that the stories I'm working on, I'm, I'm working on them as an artist, but I'm also working on them as a person and working on my own issues as I work on the story. Hmm. And, and so the, the deep issues, so for example, I did the film um, Phone Gal, which is a retelling of The Little Match Girl. Mm-hmm. And somehow when I was working on that story of The Little Match Girl, I realized for myself that it was about internal poverty. Mm-hmm. Well, The Little Match Girl is poor in the story. She's destitute. But for me, there's this internal poverty that has led me into not great things in my relationships, some internal poverty. And so that became part of the story of phone gal, which was the doll is addicted to her phone because of her own inner poverty. So my life, and then, and now I'm starting to push myself out of comfort zones to lead groups of people looking at the films to look at how they relate to their inner life. So I'm really trying to kind of let these films function on multiple levels, just as entertainment, but also, you know, these recurring themes, the perennial wisdom that's embedded in these films, let them work on me and others. Right. Absolutely. So I wonder, I'm kind of impromptu putting you on the spot a little bit here, uh, since uh, we didn't plan this or anything, but when when you bring up that story, and I did happen to watch that film, that was one of the ones oh. I watched. Thank goodness, and so <laughs> uh, really appreciated that. I love that you've tied it to some of your own inner process. It's a very timely one uh, for our current moment in time, with everybody using so many screens and devices these days. I wonder if we could um, just focus on that and unpack it a little bit more. Would you be willing to do that? For sure. Yeah. So to start, maybe just to reference uh, and anyone that hasn't heard the story of the little match girl or or if you just want to tell your own version of the little phone girl, either one, could you kind of like outline or sketch the, or, or directly tell the story for us? Sure. Well, um, Hans uh, Christian Andersen's version is she's um, very, very poor. She sells matches in order. She's like an orphan. She, she um, has no one. She sells matches to survive. Mm-hmm. And in his story, she lights matches to warm herself on a cold winter's 
Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. when she goes into reverie as she looks at the matches and she thinks about fantastic scenes of food and family. And um, she lights three candles, uh, three matches and does that. And she runs out of matches and spoiler alert, she freezes to death. Mm-hmm. In Anderson's version, at the end, she gets taken to heaven um, by an angel. So um, the analogy of staring at a phone to bring some temporary warmth to my soul um, hooked me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I can have a little addiction toward wanting that endorphin from that, you know, whatever dings on my phone. I get, you know, I get to do a podcast with somebody. Yay. Mm. You know, so (laughs) the phone or the computer can give me that little bit of endorphin rush. Um, And so that really did feel like it was hooking into both my story and the culture's story. Um, and I, and I really had this aha moment that, you know, how many times have I had it in one hand, I can count these moments where I'm working on a project or working on a dream. And it's like, oh, wow, Hmm. that's me. And Mm -hmm. the, that's me was, um, patterns I've gotten into with friendships where some inner poverty has hooked me into something unhealthy, something addictive. Um, so it's not just my phone. And uh, anyway, I, I, it's deep waters I'm swimming in talking to you about this. Absolutely. Uh, I hope Appreciate I'm clear. your willingness. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what I, what I heard as you were kind of comparing the little match girl and, and the phones there is that, um, and I just want to highlight and amplify here that, like the little match girl like was literally needing warmth because she was freezing and yeah. and even though that she was supposed to sell those matches to bring home some income to buy some food i believe if i remember right for her and her father um she also had the more immediate need of like i've got to get warm or i'm going to freeze to death and it's so hard to resist that impulse mm. and um because it's it's a real physiological need and then when you when you started talking about the the dings and the notifications of the phone or for me it's the scrolling i keep my notifications off but i still like i'm bored i'm going to pick up my phone and start scrolling at things and maybe i'm going to get an intellectual hit or a social hit or something like that you know i have the same type of thing happening in some ways and there's like a, a little bit of a nourishment of like for me, I think it hits like a sense of meaning or importance or it feels like it has like a little bit of value or, or even even just the seeking, I think, you know, for me is like, oh, if I just keep scrolling, maybe I'm going to find I'm going to get that little moment of warmth or nourishment um, that I think that we're all so craving. Um, and then when I love that you tied in your personal story um, 
because if if I understood you right, I, I was thinking about a, a client I was just working with this morning that we were working some dreams and 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 I've had this experience working my own dreams too that like when you start working with those images of the dreams or the stories or whatever, sometimes like there's a ding that happens inside that is 10 or a hundred times maybe more nourishing than the the phone notifications, but it's not always guaranteed. And so like, I know I'm also sometimes wrestling with this. Um, oh, well, I know I can get a little something, maybe like some junk food, McDonald's French fries or something if I just scroll my phone, but I also might have a really nutritious moment if I actually turn and do some inner work with a dream or a story or something like that. Um, that's how I was relating to what you were sharing there. Did I get it? Anything close to? Oh, yeah. I think a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot. Uh, I guess what I was also trying to say is that dream work or artistic work, um, it's such a privilege when mm. something comes through, like it's a gift. I can't will it. <laughs> but yeah, I have to work. Exactly. I have to work it. I have to show up every day to work it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I guess maybe partly what you're highlighting that I've been exploring is how addiction is related to this inner poverty. Mm -hmm. And that just both the little match girl, phone girl, me, um, the addictive behaviors come out of some wound, some deep poverty in myself that needs to be attended to. Right. Right. And like to, to continue to show up without the guaranteed reward, I think that is, uh, is so important. You know, I think that, you know, maybe for me too, when I was first engaging in some of this work, it's like, well, I don't know. Am I really going to get anything valuable out of a dream? Am I really going to get anything valuable out of a story? And sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's like, no, this is just nonsense. Um, <laughs> but and and to suffer that um, the the rejection or the frustration of 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 not getting the thing that we desire, I think, um, is also part of the story, perhaps. Um, at least it is for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think at this point in my life, um, humility is going to be the constant theme of yeah. my my learning and and working. And I think for me, that's how I would label some of what you're saying is is it's always a struggle. My ego really wants to think it's got it all figured out and. I'm trying to train myself to not be annoyed by my dreams because it's the ego that's annoyed. Like, the ego's <laughs> right. like, what does this mean? Right. Well, yeah, it means something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to get too far down a intellectual <laughs> tangent, but I also do want to just name that another real interesting synchronicity happening for me in this conversation as I just finished this book, Dopamine Nation. I don't mm. know if you've heard of it, um, but it it really is tackling some of the same things that we're talking about here of addiction to screens, addiction to substances, addiction to sex and all these things, how we continue to seek the the pleasure the stimulus in whatever form and eventually it really depletes us um, and it stops being quite as rewarding 
um, and maybe to bring it back to the the fairy tale of eventually we run out of matches and and we freeze if we just keep going for the the quick hit um, exactly 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 and so i mean maybe literally she had to do it in the story but but maybe we have to feel the cold or the the depression or the the pain um i you know that's that's been my journey i have to i have to feel it i have to be feel that cold that poverty absolutely and and that's actually what she talks about in the book a little bit too is is that the pleasure and the pain actually work together um mm-hmm. and if you push too much towards too much pleasure um eventually you can't do that and if you push too much towards too much pain uh you know you, then either way that if things get too out of balance um mm. Uh, we lose some of our humanity and some of our connection and some of our ability to feel. And it really mm-hmm. is about taking both the pleasure and the pain, um, for sure. I agree. Right. And the pleasure in pain and the pain in pleasure. Like it's yeah. never one thing. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we want to totally change directions or uh, stay with the story a little bit more. Another thing that I'm wondering about, if we want to stay with the story, is the relationship between the the daughter and and it's the father, right? That um, that she's selling the matches for. Am I remembering that right? I thought that she was an orphan, but there oh, might okay. be multiple versions. I mean, you'd think. There would have to be an adult in her world somewhere, but right. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. Not the version that uh, that you were working, um, or maybe I'm misremembering. It could be either one. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, so what else? I wonder um, if there's any other major themes or stories that you've been tracking that are really relevant for you and in, in films that you've recently released or uh, things that you're currently working on? Is there another thread here that we could pull on a little bit that you'd be willing to explore? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's so many. So I, I'm in a film cooperative now, which is very exciting with some really some high powered filmmakers. I, I struggle with hmm. my own um, insecurities there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this group, I'm starting to work on a feature um, live action feature screenplay. And it's been very exciting. I used to write a lot of screenplays and just felt like nothing was happening and I got frustrated. Mm-hmm. But um, this story is becoming infused with a fairy tale sensibility and my own journey, which is um, the story is a woman is, this is a story I'm, I'm in the midst of creating a woman is um, cursed with invisibility because Mm. her parents made a deal with the devil Mm. and, um, and she, and so this is also sort of reminding me of the girl without hands fairy tale. Yeah. Um, but anyway, how does she manage to become visible? And I think the feeling of being invisible, which I know is also a cultural, a big part of our cultural moment. Mm-hmm. 
I, I, I sense that many of us are struggling. When I bring this idea to people, they seem to light up because I think it's a lot of our stories. And um, so the pain of invisibility is what I'm working on. So it's very exciting for me to kind of, this is another format of where my inner work and the outer work are profoundly coming together. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was thinking of the handless maiden as well. When you first started sharing that in, uh, story of the, um, being invisible because the parents made a deal with the devil, um, and this pain of invisibility, I, I think, uh, I, what I'm hearing is it also connects up potentially with, uh, social media and this desire to be seen, right? You know, we all get to be seen instantly. Um, if we just take a, a few seconds and a, and a couple of thumbs to, uh, to put something out there, um, that, that helps with that. Um, so we all need to be seen, but, uh, and it's painful when we're not seen and accepted. Um, I also love what you said about the, uh, you're at the table now with this high powered filmmakers and you wrestle with your own insecurity. It feels like really like what we were just talking about. Like there's the pleasure in the pain. You have this amazing opportunity and, uh, it comes with this cost of, of the painful feelings of insecurity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very true. Yeah. And, and getting getting to kind of face, I've been in these moments with this group of what if they hate what I'm doing? Yeah. What then? What does that mean? And and really come, circling back to why do I do it? And and it's a calling. And so the hero's journey for myself, and I suspect for all of us, is you know, Jung and Joseph Campbell both talked about how our calling or our treasure is is right where our wound is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, exactly. you know, just showing up and doing this is my own heroic journey. Absolutely. I, I, I totally agree. Like I also, I always get nervous and anxious and I have my own insecurities as well. And so many people that I've worked with over the years, they, they, they think that I or someone can help them not feel that anxiety or not feel that insecurity or, or something like that. But I, I think it's what you just said. It's like, no, you have to go into that. And that's the cost of admission to actually get the really meaningful fruit. Um, you know, and when you say, what if they don't like it? My, my mind went right back to the, the birds singing their song on the, on the tree branch again. Well, they might, they might not, but I'm going to sing my song anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. true. Yeah. I, I, I feel called to want to bring forward something else I've been thinking about in terms Great. of invisibility and fame, because I think I could be wrong, but I sort of sense there are versions of us all wanting, like you said, recognition, uh, recognition online. For some of us, it's wanting to have more recognition. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's the lack of community that yeah. fuels that. Mm -hmm. And I, I, so my hope with the fairy tale films and sometimes i do other stories that aren't exactly fairy tales but hopefully reflect the current zeitgeist um is 
is this this hunger for community, this desperation for community that we all have. Right. I think, I think we all have it. We're going to have to just push pause on our conversation for today, but be sure to come back next week because, as always, the conversation gets deeper and more insightful, and we can really see the bigger arc of the picture. So be sure to check out the next episode so that you can continue receiving the medicine that our guest is so willingly sharing. Thank you for listening to My Life is the Medicine. We hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life. Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay, too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life, too, is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time. Sharing with us.